Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. This look at how the government can help people get out of poverty is brought to you by Outset. Hello and welcome to the one and only Second Look, the podcast brought to you by the Outset Podcast Network. I'm your host, Benjamin Green, and this is the show where we talk about issues in politics and culture. We've been going through a series on poverty, and last week we talked about four ways the government makes poverty worse. Well, today we're going to talk about some ways that the government can help people in poverty. But before we get into it, I do just want to remind you of our awesome sponsor, Octopod. Octopod has been our faithful sponsor since day one, and if you head on over to octo-pod.com slash outset, that's octo-pod.com forward slash outset, take a look at their awesome mobile charging solutions for your phone and tablet, and pick one up. Use the coupon code OUTSET when you check out. So, we know how the government can make poverty worse. It can make poverty worse by setting up poverty traps so people get stuck in them. It makes poverty worse by enforcing minimum wage laws, uh, by stealing money directly out of the paychecks of those who need it most, and by devaluing, devaluing currency in the long term. So, we know all these things, but how can government make it better for people in poverty? How can we help those who need it most? Well, first, we have to set up some criteria for what makes sound policy when it comes to poverty. I feel like the first criteria should be, well, it has to work. (laughs) We talked about last week how the minimum wage law has not worked, and how even programs like Social Security have become ineffective. However, because we have minimum wage laws and Social Security, and we've grown up with them, thinking of them as things that help poor people, politicians are incredibly reluctant to change these programs. And I think it's sometimes good to be hesitant to change, But when it comes to helping Americans get out of poverty, we need to rethink things. So maybe we'll start slowly. Maybe we'll gradually refund everyone the money they've paid into Social Security. I don't know. We're not getting there yet. But whatever we do, our policy needs to work in the long, short and long term. Number two is our policy needs to respect the liberty of Americans. Our our society is built on the notion that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, which include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That liberty is the most important one when we're talking about the scope of government. Every law that... Um, government makes 
should respect the liberty of the citizens. Okay, so it has to work. It has to respect citizens' liberty. What else? It has to actually be feasible politically. I, for one, think that the economy would be much better off if we uh, drastically reformed the government and kind of started fresh with a whole lot more free um, people and a whole lot smaller federal government. But we have to adjust to the political reality we live in, which is that even if we had a majority in uh, a supermajority in both houses of Congress with the Republican Party, I say we, but I'm not a Republican anymore. So, ah, even if the Republican Party had a a supermajority in both houses of Congress. And so they could override the president's veto. It would be unwise to just ram through this Republican agenda because then the American people who are hesitant to agree with the Republican Party aren't going to like it. You don't win people over to your plans and your ideas by forcing them to follow them. That just breeds resentment and I don't know about you, but when I'm I'm a pretty stubborn person, when someone tells me to do something, even if I wanted to do it before, now that they've told me to do it, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> so growing up, uh, if if I was, say, I don't know, cleaning my room, and my parents would say, hey, you need to clean your room, because they didn't No, I was cleaning it already, which, let's be honest, I'm not sure this scenario actually ever happened for real, but we'll we'll just assume it did. So I'm cleaning my room, and my parents say, hey, clean your room. Well, now I suddenly want to stop. I don't want to clean if they just told me to clean. Why is that? Well, it's because now I felt like I didn't have any ownership over the idea. Our constitutional republic is built on the idea of democracy, that the people have the political power. Too often, we get into thinking of democracy as the same thing as majority rule. Majority rule and democracy are not the same thing. That's a topic for another episode. Suffice it to say that people have to actually like the proposals. If we just ram them through with a supermajority, then we're not going to actually affect long-term change because it's likely that they'll just get repealed 10, 15, 20 years down the road. So, what are our three criteria so far? Number one, we have to actually... It, it has to actually help poor people. Number two, it has to respect the liberty of poor people. And number three, it has to be politically feasible. There are some more criteria we could add, but for the sake of this episode and for the sake of time, since we're already seven minutes in, um, I'm going to go ahead and just leave it at those three. And we'll go through a couple ideas I've had and some I've learned from others Ideas for helping those who need it the most. 
So the first thing government can do to help poor people is to streamline. I'm not even talking necessarily about shrinking the government. While I do think that would be a good thing, we have so many anti-poverty programs at the state and federal levels. They overlap. Um, It makes it hard for people to collect benefits because you might have to go to... um, get your food stamps from SNAP and your housing assistance from an entirely different agency, and maybe you're getting unemployment insurance or something from yet another agency. And regardless of what exact benefits you're collecting, having them all be separate is markedly inefficient because each agency has to hire redundant people. If one agency were put in charge of... Um, government benefits, then we could actually pass along more of the budget allocated toward benefits to people instead of to um, workers in the bureaucracies at various different agencies. How would this help poor people? Well, they'd get more money for one thing. For another, having one agency in charge of all of the benefits... Now, note that I'm not talking about the federal government usurping power from the states. I'm saying state governments should set up one agency in charge of their entitlements, and the federal government should set up one agency in charge of federal entitlements. So, just throwing that out there. But, the another advantage of this one agency idea is that... Um, it really helps to mitigate the problem with poverty traps that we were talking about in the last episode, which is basically where your benefits get cut quickly, um, and so you're actually penalized for working harder. So if it were one agency, then you wouldn't have the situation where suddenly your housing assistance and food assistance gets cut just because you made a little bit more money. They both get cut a lot. One agency in charge could do a more sensible scale of cuts to figure out how, as people earn more, the government can contribute directly to their lives less. And you don't have these drastic cutoffs in benefits like they exist now, like the one we discussed last week where, on food stamps, as your income approaches... $30,000 a year, uh, your benefits cut off exponentially. And and so if you make $29,000 a year, you might get significantly less benefits than if you made $28,000 a year. So if we streamline the government, it'll save money, like it'll put more money into the hands of those who actually need it, rather than the employees of the agencies and the bureaucracies there. It will um, help eliminate poverty traps. But the question is, will it work? Will it help poor people? And the answer is, we don't know. But the reason why I listed that criteria front and center is because we should always have it in mind. The minimum wage maybe wasn't a bad idea. Minimum wages are a fairly relatively new thing in the span of human history. So, 
you know, why not try a minimum wage? The thing is, now, years later, we can see that it hasn't worked. If we're keeping that, does it actually work? At the front of our minds, then we can try new things, and if they don't work, then we can get rid of them. However, I do think there is an argument to be made that streamlining these programs into one agency would work. If you look at the programs we have now, are they working? Well, it's hard to say. The idea behind these programs is that they give people the money they need to get through tough times and help lift them out of poverty. Sometimes it can be hard to track, though, because we have all these separate agencies. So if the goal of the programs is to lift people out of poverty, we need to be able to track and see if people have indeed been lifted out of poverty. But imagine a scenario in which for six months you are able to make your rent and you just uh, can't afford groceries on top of it. So you get those food stamps for those six months, well, then you get a raise and you get, you're able to pay for both your rent and groceries now, but you lose your food stamps. Well, then after a while, your rent goes up. So now what you need is housing assistance. Really, you've never left poverty per se, but these programs treat you as two separate people. So the program hadn't been successful in lifting you out of poverty, and yet they would say, oh, they came on food stamps and they left. Success! Or, oh, they came on housing assistance and they left. Success! When in reality, it's not a success at all. One program could track people more efficiently. And you'd be able to see if someone was on food stamps for a while and then stopped and was on housing assistance for a while and then stopped or was getting unemployment insurance for a while and then stopped. One program overseeing all of this would be a much more efficient thing to do. And at the very least, I believe it would work better than what we have right now. We're going to go on to idea number two in just a moment, but I wanted to remind you about our fantastic sponsor, Octopod. Has your phone died this week? I know mine did. I got up to go to work and my phone was almost dead. And I, for my job, I need my phone. My boss needs to be able to text or call me if I need to go do something. Well, you know what? Octopod has your back if this ever happens to you. Head on over to octo-pod.com outset. Pick up an Ion 3, Ion Solar, or Ion 10, and you will never have to worry about your phone dying ever again. Octo-pod.com slash outset. Use the coupon code OUTSET when you check out for 50% off. So I was going to move on to idea number two when I came back for the break, but I just realized that I didn't actually finish idea number one. We talked about would it work, but we didn't talk about our other two criteria, which are does it respect the liberty of people? So... As it is, our system respects the liberty of people a little bit. I give it a C. Because if you go in for food stamps, you can use that money on any food 
any groceries that you want. I mean, with some restrictions, but you know. Uh, on, on this approved list, you can use it for any of those things on that approved list that you want. So you do have some freedom there, but the government's still saying you have to spend this money on food. So it's not necessarily respecting your liberty. I give it a C in that regard. Changing to one program doesn't really necessarily change that, because that one program might decide to still give out food stamps housing is it like it might be the exact same benefits just from one program instead of over a hundred different programs like we have now and then third is it politically feasible this one i think actually is some people are opposed to the idea of having just one agency um there are a few philosophies there that I don't really have time to get into, which is a bummer because I was planning on it. But if you really want to know why, you can find this online. Arguments against streamlining into one government agency all of our welfare programs. Um, some people don't like that, but I think as a whole, it would be fairly simple to do this. You'd be able to get bipartisan cooperation in Congress to to streamline these programs, put them in, under one umbrella benefits, poverty benefits program, although hopefully it would have a better name than that. I do think this one's politically feasible. And I don't see a president vetoing this, because, I mean, it just really doesn't seem likely to me. So... It may not pass with flying colors, but I think this idea passes our three tests. So there, on to idea number two, taxes. So we often have a lot of argument on taxes. A lot of people want to eliminate them entirely. I, for one, hate income taxes. I think the very idea of them is offensive, but... It is the reality of the political situation we are in now. We have an income tax. We have a constitutional amendment authorizing Congress to collect an income tax. So, for the moment, anyway, it is constitutional. Um, so, let's work with it. Well, a lot of Republicans and conservatives and libertarians definitely fall with the conservatives on this issue, want to see just a complete flat tax. 15% that everyone pays. No matter if you make $10,000 a year or if you make $10 billion a year, you're paying 15% of your income to the federal government. That's right where I am in my heart of hearts. That's the program I want to see. That's the program I think is the most fair. If the government is going to lay claim to your money and say, this doesn't belong to you, give it to us, at least they should do that the same amount to everybody. Uh, <laughs> that That's what I'd really like. However, on the other end of the spectrum, we have our progressives or liberals who think that Wealthy people should pay a higher share um, of their income than poor people do. For instance, 
they uh, think that maybe poor people should have to pay 5% in taxes and um, middle class people should have to pay 10% and rich people should have to pay 15%. Now those percentages are actually much lower than the the percentages proposed by progressives, but let's just say it's there. Graduated progressive income tax, that's called. That's the system we have right now. The wealthy people pay a higher percentage of their taxes or a higher percentage of their income in taxes than poorer people. The thing is, the system we have now has a whole bunch of loopholes, a whole bunch of deductions, and so we end up in a situation where Warren Buffett gets famous for saying he pays less taxes than his secretary. Um, And so he makes the argument that the government should raise his taxes. Well, Mr. Buffett, you can donate directly to the Treasury... You can find that information online. I highly encourage you to do so if you want to. But I have a plan that's I think of as a good compromise. Um, and I think it passes the tests. So what do you think? When you apply to college, the a statistic that's very important is whether or not your parents make more than $60,000 a year in income. If your parents make less than $60,000 a year, you tend to get significantly more financial aid than if your parents make more than $60,000 a year. Well, I say let's take this principle and apply it to government. I think that for everyone making less than $60,000 a year, we should collect no taxes. None. None at all. $60,000 a year untaxed income. So that those who need it most, the poorest among us, really would get to keep all the money that they work so hard to earn. This would be a huge boon to the poor. Now, like I've said, I would like to see nobody paying any income tax, but I don't think that's going to uh, pass our third test, is it politically feasible? So let's just say that for the sake of political feasibility, we're stuck with a progressive income tax, one with tax brackets that increase as you go higher. So the next tax bracket is anyone who makes from... uh, 60,000 to 600,000. This includes both middle class and wealthy uh, individuals. And let's say they have to pay 10% in taxes. That's still a hefty amount of taxes. Uh, that's They are only getting to keep 90% of the money they earn. The rest is being taken from them by the government. But these individuals make enough money that they're going to be okay without that 10% of their income. Well, the third tax bracket is 600000 and up. This includes uh, business owners of good business, and it includes Donald Trump, and it includes um, Hillary Clinton and Carly Fiorina, and (laughs) uh, actually... Pretty much everybody on the debate stage in both parties, except maybe Bernie Sanders. 
everyone up there is pretty wealthy. Um, so this is our highest tax bracket, and let's say they have to pay 20% of their income. Ignoring all of the other quote-unquote problems that would be raised by this tax plan, uh, it would undoubtedly decrease the revenue collected by the federal government. We're ignoring all that for now. We're simply evaluating it as a proposition. Would it help the poor? Would it work? To which I say, undoubtedly, yes, it would help. I know for me, I make significantly less money than $60,000 a year. And taxes have been, at times, a huge burden. Um, shortly after I got married, I had miscalculated the withholding from my paycheck, and I owed, like, $650 in taxes three months after getting married. It was a little bit of a financial stress. We were a little tight for a while after that. Uh... I don't consider myself to be particularly poor. I know there are a lot of people who are needier than I am, but I have no doubt that it would help them more than it helps me. And I should just note, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, I also think we should stop taking taxes directly out of your paycheck, Social Security, etc. I think that you should get to keep 100% of the money you earn. And for the sake of political compromise, we'll say that people who earn $60,000 a year or less, rather, less than $60,000 a year, so $59,999 a year and less, get to keep 100% of those dollars and cents. So this passes our first test with flying colors, because it would help the poor because, well, they have more money than they used to. Well, what about the second test? Does it respect people's liberty? Again, passes with flying colors, but an asterisk. (laughs) It respects the liberty of those less fortunate, of those who make $60,000 a year or less. It respects their liberty. I don't believe that income taxes respect liberty. If an income tax is collected, it is not respecting someone's liberty. But that's... Again, a topic for another time. So it doesn't exactly respect the liberty of those who aren't poor, but for those who make less income, it does. Passes with flying colors, just with a little asterisk there. Test number three, is it politically feasible? Well, now we do have to take into consideration the... the other problems this would cause, quote-unquote problems, uh, like having to reduce the size of the federal government. But I do think that this is politically feasible because nobody wants to raise taxes on poor people. If someone proposes eliminating all taxes for poor people, who's going to vote against that? There would be some questions raised about political feasibility, but I do think this is feasible if we did it in two separate bills. Bill number one says those who make $59,999 a year or less 
pay, no income tax, no FICA tax, no nothing. Zero taxes collected from those making less than $60,000 a year. Pass that bill through both houses of Congress, get the president to sign off on it. Then bill number two is the rest of the tax bracket. And that's where the arguments could come up. But since we're just talking about poverty here, is it politically feasible? Well, I really do think, yes, it probably is feasible. So that idea passes the third test with flying colors. So, wahoo! That's fantastic. We should do it. Call your congressman right now. Well, I had a third theory that I was going to get to today, but we're coming pretty close to our time here, so I think we're going to push that one to next week. But I hope you have seen today that government actually can be useful in helping out poor people. We just have to think a slightly different way about how we do it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Second Look. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can find me on Twitter at BGreenAZ, and you can follow Outset Magazine on Twitter as well, at Outset Magazine. You can find this episode in iTunes, where we hope you'll subscribe so you don't miss a single episode, or at OutsetMagazine.com slash podcasts, where you can see all of our other podcasts, including the one from my awesome editor, Stephen Perkins, whom you can find on Twitter at Stephen with a PH underscore Perkins. I hope you had a great week, and I hope you have an even better one this coming week. And with that, I bid you all good day.